spiking the purple Kool-Aid since October of 2012. And who wants to listen to that? Here are your hosts, Grant Tommy and Doug Rosselo. Welcome to the Emadio Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Tommy. I'm your co-host, Doug Rosselo. And this is the... We're going to rename it just for the the day. We're going to call it Win the Dang Day podcast today. Uh, Doug, it's no longer the E-Modio podcast. No, it's the E-Modio podcast. Uh, again, thanks for... Um, hell, this might be the, the last episode of this season. I don't know. I might have one more up my sleeve, but this is good chance for at least 2018, the last episode that Doug and I record an episode. Um, but Doug, today was the introductory press conference for the 35th football coach at Kansas State, the Chris Kleiman um, press conference, and um, I, I know we've come a long way in maybe the last 48 hours, but I wanted to just touch base with you because I haven't really exchanged text messages with you since the night of his announcement, or when news was confirmed. Was it Bruce Feldman, I think, was the first one to put it out there. You You sent it my way. And uh, I know there were some four-letter words exchanged. You know, I don't like to cuss that much, but I, I, de- I definitely sent a four-letter word your way. You sent mm-hmm. some my way. Just wh- where do you stand today? What are your overall reactions? Uh, I'm, I'm obviously a little bit more at ease. I wouldn't say completely comfortable quite yet. Um, but I would say that, you know, the initial reaction was obviously pretty, uh, pretty way out there, I think, on both of our ends. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I've, I've settled down, I've calmed down. Um, you know, I, I, it's gonna, it's still gonna take some proof in the pudding for me, uh, to really completely come around on this. Um, I'm not gonna completely do a 180 on, on my thoughts completely, but, uh, I think, I think he's, I think so far so good it, everything, you know, is pointing towards, a, a better direction and and he said a lot of good things yeah i'm like you i'm not, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that i never said a, a single negative thing um publicly about this guy i think the as soon as the news was uh released on wabash station um which of course if you're listening you more than likely are a gopowercat.com member but you're also there's a wider audience there's some k-state fans out there but if you're not part of gopowercat.com you, you Doug and I, you can find us on the message boards there, uh, GT Cat and myself, and uh, Cat Rock for, for him. But I, the the day the news was announced, I do I do know I, um, I like, in a thread, I quoted myself. The thread was about, has this search, the thread was like, has this search given K-State a bad look? And you know, like day four, I said, no, day four or five of it, I said, no, it hasn't. Now, if it takes eight days to hire an FCS coach, then it does. And it took exactly eight days to end, and we hired an FCS coach. And so I quoted myself and said, so I don't know what, but it, I, I've definitely, you know, again, 
And if you were a Wabash Station poster, like, go ahead and remind me of any negative thing I may have said on there. But I, I refuse to go on Twitter and just say a ton of negative things about this guy. One, because I didn't know him. And two, I wanted to hear him talk before I ever said anything. But I think we're... Again, this is a this is a long drawn out answer to or reaction to what you said, but I'm like you in the fact that I, I want to try to stay a little more even keeled, a little more true to myself, who I was before then, and who I am now. And and I think the best way I can describe uh, my reaction, I guess, put me still in the camp of of doubter. I, I don't I don't think I'm a hater. Um, I'm going to root for this guy around every corner, around every step of the way, and I was going to, regardless of who they hired, I was never going to give up my season tickets. I think it would have taken, like, hiring Art Briles for me to strongly have to figure out if I was going to, like, it was just going to have to be, like, a moral issue for me to decide, am I going to renew my season tickets? But, um, Doug, I'll let you, uh, I've been talking too much. I've got a little bit to build on that, but I just... I was never going to not renew my season tickets. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I you know I will still be a K State diehard fan regardless of who the coach was. Um, you know, obviously, pending pending a uh, a moral obligation not to do something. Um, I you know I I was I was going to be on board with whoever K State hired. Uh, obviously, some pills are tougher to swallow than others, and. Not to say that this was the, the hardest pill to swallow, but it was not the easiest one either. Well, I think as it came down to the final hours of the coaching search, you know, it was between Neil Brown, the coach of Troy, and Chris Kleiman, and um, I I really wished I would have come up with this idea. I came up with it on, like, Friday of a graphic, a visual graphic of how at least I handle coaching searches. Um, you know, this is something I geek out to, but... It's a balance. It's a balancing ask. And I, it, what it dawned on me like Friday evening was like all the coaching searches for all of us fans, even for the AD, is it's an exercise in risk assessment. And everybody's got a different way in which they manage risk assessment. So, But for me, the graphic I wanted to make was the, the number one place I start with on these things is, is win-loss record and winning percentage. But I immediately qualify that. I've got qualifiers for that, and that's the first thing then I ask myself is like, okay, well, for how long? Then after that, I ask myself, okay, well, at, at what level? And then lastly, I always look at, okay, but are they still on the way up, or are they trending down, downward, or are they flatlining? And so in many ways, like, so Chris Kleiman checks all those first boxes at the top, he's definitely his win loss record's ridiculous, sixty seven and six. Maybe it goes to sixty eight and six here Friday. Um, that's a ninety one point seven percent winning percentage. And then it's like, okay, well, how long has he been doing it? Four years, so he's been doing it for a while. And then it's like, okay, but at what level? And it's the FCS. And and what I fi- found through all this is that was it was always that last question that's always the most uncomfortable out of all those for me. And that's act. You know, we discussed on our, our first episode together this this season was what, my struggles with Neil Brown, and I view the Sun Belt as only that next step up from FCS. And so that's what took a long time for me to get on board with, with Neil Brown because he was just that one rung up. Like, But everybody's different, and that's, for me, and I think I think that's where everybody's feelings are. I think that's where a lot of people 
struggled with this one was because I must, I would almost have to reflect, because you can't, you can't talk away the other two criteria, and you know, if I would have had this, this graphic or this actual scale that could have measured everybody, I bet I would have found that Chris Kleinman, uh, Mike Norvell and Neil Brown all were probably equal candidates. Like, you just would have had on one spectrum, one guy was way up here, the next guy was way down here, and, you know, so I kind of just quickly thought through it, and, you know, winning percentage, Kleiman's the top, Norvell was at the bottom. For how long? Brown was at the top. Norvell was at the bottom. And then, at what level? Norvell was at the top, and Kleiman was at the bottom. So, like, everybody had something that was, like, peaked out on one end of the spectrum, but somebody else had something really low. At the end of the day, it's a tough decision. So there's other criteria for me then too after that. I mean like recruiting and age, but but I always the win loss thing is the most important to me because I I do agree with what Chris Kleiman did say in his press conference today. Football's football's football. Um but again, that's just where it was uncomfortable for me. It's it's the can you make that jump? So I don't know. I didn't know if you have anything to add to that. They have my crazy. That's kind of how I. That's kind of how I kind of look at this whole situation. Yeah, and, and I think I kind of echo the same concern as far as I understand what he's saying. Football is football. Coaching is coaching across the board. Um, and I, I, you know, in his press conference, of course, he's going to dismiss the fact that you know there's probably not a big difference between the talent from. FCS to Power Five. I I didn't really appreciate it. I know that he's gone out there and he's beaten Power Five schools, but let's be honest, he hasn't beaten you know powerhouse Power Five schools. Um, so while I appreciate what he's saying and I understand that he's coming from a world that you know his the talent that he brings in can compete at the Power Five level competing at the power five level and winning at the power five level consistently, I think are two very different things. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, again, I, I'm on a wait and see approach. I am, you know, proof in the pudding. I want to see these players that he's going to go out and recruit. I want to see him um, go out there and get talented guys that will, will compete and be proven winners on a power five level. And that's, that's, my one of my biggest concerns with this hire and yes to our to our listeners who may have made it uh this far into the podcast we've gone 10 minutes we really haven't gone too far overboard and say anything positive there are things we will say positive about chris Kleiman. there's there definitely is a lot a lot to talk about there but um just know i doug and i are just in that camp of again i think doubters is probably the best the best way and it's a wait and see approach and it's nothing against against the guy personally um heck i think i think i speak for you doug that we both want want, want to eat some crow out of all of this like i i again i think that because winning percentage to me is the biggest thing because i think okay if you figure out how to win at that level i think you can figure out how to graduate and win at the next level i just feel like there probably need to be a rung in between um but it's a high risk, high reward thing for athletic director Gene Taylor, and I will say this as much too. I, kept, I think I would rather have a guy who had head coaching experience like Chris Kleiman, with less scholarship numbers, 
Then, like, Cliff Kingsbury, who kind of, he learned a lot on the job, didn't realize how many more responsibilities there were to becoming a head coach from the making that jump from the coordinator only. Um, now, I think, I think I feel better about Chris Kleiman kind of knows how to run a head coaching gig, but he does have more staff and more people to look after now. So it's a scaling up thing. But by and large, I think he kind of gets what the day-to-day is like for being a head coach. And I think I, I think I like that most definitely better than if if a coordinator came in. Now, that's not to say a coordinator can't adapt either. But um, one of the big sticking points, I think, though, Doug, you wanted to get into a little bit was having said all that, what we've built up to this point, um, lack of experience at the FBS level, getting talent, lack of experience, managing a roster that size, managing a staff, the logistics, um, his salary. And I know you have some, some things you kind of want to get into with his salary. Yeah. Grant, how many times more a year do you think he makes um, than he does currently at Indy in North Dakota State? Well, it's a little bit of cheating. If I heard right on the radio, it was like eight times as much. It's uh, seven times as much as first year. Um, I guess when you factor in his uh, his additional payouts with his annual $15,000 stipend for his car, his annual salary uh, in addition to $86,000 a year, it might get closer to eight times more a, a year. My biggest problem with this is, and this isn't a shot at client, uh, Coach Kleinman. I think he did a great job negotiating. I feel like Gene handed his buddy a really awesome deal. Uh, when you look at the last coach that got that left left uh, North Dakota State, he got paid somewhere in the range of you know one point one million dollars a year uh, to start out. He just renegotiated his contract up to one point four million dollars a year. Uh, seven-year extension at Wyoming. And so when I look at this, I go, I think to myself, why are we paying him that much more a year? I personally think he would still come to K-State at 1.4, 1.5. We throw in some performance Incentives. performance uh, incentives in there uh, you know you win and if you land in the top half of the big big 12 you get a big bonus for that um if you get coaching you know coach of the year in the big 12 you get you know a, a, a five hundred thousand dollar bonus for that if you win the big 12 you get a million dollar bonus i don't care those incentives should be in there right now he's getting paid a lot of money and the incentives, incentive payouts are super low. He went, if he wins, if he finishes in the top three in the Big Twelve, he gets twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean that's. It just seems it seems like a contract that we don't need to be paying that high high for. Now he comes in first three years. He, you know, he he excels. We see we see really good improvement for our team, um, and we see us on the trend of winning and they renegotiate the contract up to 2.1. I think that's a great, great deal. But currently I, I, I think we're overpaying for his surface value initially. Does that make sense? Yeah. So remind me again, is it 2.3 million, the starting pay? 2.1. 2.1. So I pulled up a spreadsheet and this is, this is 2017 stats. It's not 2018, but, um, 
because I've heard this, I think it was John Kurtz, uh, you know, he had the same initial reaction, and he dug into it a little more, and then he realized that 2.1 um, is good for, like, 8th in the Big 12. Um, so it's – I'm kind of somewhere in between I agree with you that I feel like, much like the buyout that was the big sticking point for Seth Luttrell, that Gene Taylor was willing to stair-step down um, – I feel like we had the opportunity for a year one uh, to have a, have a bigger stair step up, but 2017 uh, figures had David Beatty making at ninth, and Matt Rule's not listed because he's a private institution. You don't have to share this information. Um, so David Beatty was nine out of nine, and he was at $1.6 million. I do feel like uh, Chris Kleiman does have enough pedigree that he deserves more than that, and then number eight on that list was Matt Campbell at 2.1 and he just renegotiated a deal this year so um I yeah I I don't know I'm I'm, I think we could have you know this is if this is this guy's dream as much as he says it is I feel like uh K-State could have been a much better buyer in this scenario and and got by with a 1.9 million dollar incentive laced uh deal that scales up very quickly you know, in each successive year, once, okay, nope, this is the real deal, we can see it, kind of a thing, but I guess that's why you have agents, I suck at negotiating, so <laughs> kudos to him, I think, but no, I I think that's a very fair initial reaction. Well, yeah, and I, I, I just think it's a, it's a handout for, um, from Gene Taylor. I, that salary and the, uh, the incentive program is, seems like a pretty big handout, um, but the, there's not a lot of incentive to do well in his his in his incentives, so that's basically what I'm trying to say is we 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 purchased a coach or purchased a contract for a coach um, with you know basically if he shows up for his job he's going to get a pretty handsome salary and if he does well at his job he's not getting that much more so that that's that's my only sticking point with it and and you know. Hopefully it, it turns out well for us. Uh, I think the buyout is pretty ridiculous, uh, sitting right around six million dollars. Um, so yeah, hopefully we don't terminate them early and have to do the buyout, or uh, we're we're pretty much screwed for K State. Well, and I, I can't sit here and tell you I've got a really good handle on market value for for buyouts, but I, I thought the same thing. I thought that was pretty extreme. But and I, as you clarified your point a little further, I I, I think you do bring up a good point. So. If he like if he finished top three in his first year, which would be amazing, um, here's twenty five thousand dollars. Whereas, let's just say we use that one point nine figure down from two point one. What if the same totals were there, but he finishes in the top twenty five, and all of a sudden he gets a two hundred twenty five thousand uh, dollar bonus? Right. I I think I think that's a I think that's a solid way of looking at it for sure. Right. Um, but but it, that brings up a bigger question too. Is like then then how much money is left over for for hiring staff? And I think that's what the hiring of staff is. What's going to be the most interesting and what's going to propel me more to to buy in to understand um, what this guy's about. Um, and, and I can't give you any sort of um, any sort of handle on on what his coaching tree looked like. I know. Uh, Ryan Wallace did a good job kind of looking at an offensive side of things, how that tree, how those branches might spread out. Um, but 
Um, what we do know at this point in time, one of the giant pieces of news that came out today, one of the great pieces of news is that Taylor uh, Bratt is going to be retained as a recruiting coordinator. And Chris Kleiman did a good job of saying, he's like, and we're going to bolster that department. Like, there's a ton of good things that are just like bare minimum, lowest common denominator things that the rest of the college football world was doing that Chris Kleiman has already showed his hand in day one, day two, whatever you want to say. We're going to do these things, and I think at the very least, if if we just flatlined and didn't get better as a team, but we improved on all these things, that, I think, would be enough to improve, <laughs> to take our team to new heights. Um, what's your reaction kind of on the the uh, the news of this the staff hires and where do you think where do you think he might go? Um, we can get in a bigger discussion later, but what what was your reaction to the uh, the Taylor Bratt news? Uh, you know, I, I'm happy. Uh, Taylor Bratt is obviously a uh, K Stater through and through. Um, bleeds purple, I think, more than anybody on any of these fan sites even. Um, he uh, he's a he's a great coach to keep on board, and it's really encouraging to hear that he's going to uh, uh, you know bolster that recruiting staff. It sounds like we were operating with the same amount of staff uh, North Dakota State was um, at the FCS level um, for recruiting purposes. So it's nice nice to have a coach that recognizes the importance of recruiting, and I think um, initially uh, he's he's at least recognizing the importance of recruiting now. His execution of recruiting, um, we can talk to in a second. Um, I, I, I worry a little bit because he is the head coach of two programs and how much he's going to be able to get done um, for this really crucial class of his, his very first class. Yeah, and when we get into that, I even I've I've softened a little bit on that one. But, um, yeah, that's, that's further down the list here on the, the questions. But... As it relates to staff, you know, as soon as the press conference was over today, I tweeted out, in case any of my followers wanted to hear a question of theirs answered on the podcast, and I only got one out of the deal, but at Sinclair Eli on Twitter asked to uh, which coaches are staying now. That's a really tough question to to answer. Doug, both you and I aren't don't have near that deep of connections to really put a solid um, answer to that. We'd be, we'd be throwing darts, but I guess... Still try to attempt to answer the question. I, I personally, for me, I, I think the right answer is, is, and I can't tell you what the f- exact formula is, but I, I really think he he could fare well from a mix of keeping a couple people from his current staff, keeping a couple people from our current staff, but then just going completely outside. And I don't know if that's personally. I just. I don't. I don't know how advantageous it is to keep more than maybe two people off of our current staff. And I don't. Like, what is a staff usually like? Eleven. Eleven people. I don't know if you know. I don't know off the top of my head. I, I want to say like if you include the head coach, about a dozen. But I. I also don't want him to Scott Frost it and bring everybody from North Dakota State either. I. I'm not going to try to like devalue what those potential people might be able to bring to the table, but I think that's the wrong solution too. I I feel like you know if there was two from his staff, two from our staff, and then everybody else is just completely brand new outside perspective. I don't know where where do you stand on 
what would you like to see, I guess, if it was up to you? Um, you know, I, I would, I would like to see maybe three people retained from the current staff. Um, and my opinion would be, um, Colin Klein, uh, Blake Seiler and Brian Norwood. Uh, I think those three guys have earned it. Um, I think that, I think it's already been said by a, a dozen people or so that, uh, you know, Colin Klein and Coach Kleinman are familiar with each other. Having Colin Klein having coached at Northern Iowa, or yeah, yeah, that's right. And then uh, you know, I think Blake Seiler. I think once he interviews with Blake Seiler, I think he'll realize uh, what kind of a talent that that young man is. And I think Brian Norwood did a really good job with our defensive backs. Um, that being said, it wouldn't surprise me if it was only two people retained on the current staff. Um, it, I think it'll be somewhat refreshing to have some new blood in there. Um, I, I would be surprised to see too many people on the offensive staff kept uh, if I were a betting man. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I would, maybe I'll let you try to sell me on Colin Klein. He's the one that, uh, otherwise my list is the same as Brian Norwood and Blake Seiler, because a lot of people are really high on Blake Seiler right now, but um, I think it's kind of foolish not to think that some of the success wasn't also because of Brian Norwood. You know, they're kind of a package deal in my mind. I feel like this year was not going to be near as successful defensively if you didn't have one of those two components. So um, I'm with you there. You could try selling me on, <laughs> on Colin <laughs> Klein. I just – I look, we all love him as case theorists. He's definitely – like I don't doubt for a second what he – feels for this um but i it's hard for me to quantify exactly what his impact has been on the team and i just i don't know i don't know that it's kind of like i guess it's like an investment like is are we really getting like what value exactly are we getting out of colin klein now to uh excite some of the fans if you're listening for free if you're not a go power cap member I, I guess i won't probably just drop a name but like what i was really excited from uh ryan wallace's his story on potential offensive hires um just think about like it excites me someone from a program like ucf um there was a wide receivers coach from ucf if somebody really cares they can probably google that figure that out but all of the ties that someone like that like that that to me embodies kind of goes back to the whole risk assessment thing that we talked about when we started from like, okay, what level are they coming from? And that, if you listen to the past couple episodes, you know, I'm a big AAC mountain West type of guy. Um, but also like what UCF has done in the past two years, like just the, the new fresh ideas, the kinds of things. I mean, you're talking about an opportunity to recruit Florida as well. Um, I, I just feel like there's so much more excitement there um, of things that could happen. I just think there might be a little more value to to the program as a whole than maybe what Colin Klein could bring. But that's just me. Uh, so for me, what what would sell me with Colin Klein is I think he's he's a pretty darn good recruiter. Um, I think he does a, a pretty good job with the quarterbacks. Um, I think he's smart enough for the position. And I think he, he's one of those guys that, uh, is endearing to the, um, to the, to the, to the, uh, team. Uh, as far as the players, I think he's, he's really well respected amongst the players. Um, and now 
again, he could he could not be retained. Uh, he's one of those guys that I, I, I would definitely consider keeping. So just thinking out loud here, and this was something I, I thought about previously that applies to Blake Seiler, but now it also applies to Colin Klein. But I think there's some value to if you're going to keep somebody who was on the previous staff, you know, both Blake and uh, Colin Klein were, in a way, Ron Prince guys. So you have people who definitely care about the program and don't want to see Ron Prince 2.0 occur, but you also have someone then who, like, how unique would that be that they would have their hands in all three of the last three eras or whatever, however you want to say it? Uh, I think there's some value to it that you know they're going to protect the heritage of the Bill Snyder Foundation, but at the same time, like, they they have enough other exposure to, to just to know they they've seen it at, at its peak, <laughs> at its lowest low, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. I think it'd be kind of nice to have some watchdogs without being too just caught up in the Snyder's the only way to do it camp. I don't think right. right. <laughs> well, and if, yeah, if the rumors are true that, you know, Colin Klein was one of the catalysts um, for confronting Coach Snyder about his his antics this year, then I think that that's even more reason because if because of him being a player's coach, Coach Kleiman being a player's coach, I think they would work well together. And the uh, offensive uh, that wide receivers coach you're referring to was Daryl Wyatt, by the way, from UCF. Yeah, I wasn't sure if uh, leaking out information from a paywall was a bad thing. It's not <laughs> a big deal, but uh, that was just one name of. He was one. He was one of the ones that excited me. Do you have anybody? Um, even let's even if you zoomed out one more level, like outside of Wally's story, just because because I know initially after the hire was announced, I started looking through like the top 40 offenses statistically and thinking, okay, who might be in the top 40 that also makes sense to be on a staff like Chris Kleiman's. And um, I'll be honest, like I only came up with like two or three uh, styles of football that weren't spread oriented. It did hurt a little to see Mike Norvell's Memphis team was like number four on the list. Um, uh, I can't even remember. I want to say, you know, Boise State was one of them. I can't even think, really. I'll let you talk. Um, I'll do some research while you're talking uh, who those teams may have been. But if you, if it's just pie in the sky, you can pick anybody, Doug. Do you do you look at, like, a program specifically where it'd be like, hey, that'd be cool if we could snag someone from that program or whatever that might fit into uh, Chris Kleiman-style football? Yeah, I you know I think um, somebody from the UCF program would be exciting an exciting hire. I think uh, Wally did a really good job of his rundown of the offense coordinators or potential offensive staff, not necessarily coordinators. Um, you know, I think I think you could look around um, really anywhere. I think Memphis obviously has some good good talent there. Wouldn't be would be kind of nice to pluck from that program after uh, we didn't get their head coach. Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think really anybody with a with a top offense uh, would be would be an intriguing get for us. Um, even heck, even North Texas would be 
uh, staff I would look at. Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to think like styles that also, or at least the lens I looked at it through was also what styles fit. And so Boise State was number 23, Purdue is number 24, uh, Luke Fickle's Cincinnati team, um, Kevin Sumlin's Arizona at 26, Nebraska was at 27. Even that, you know, I think you could probably, well, I don't know. That's probably a stretch. South Florida at 32. You know, maybe there's someone in one of those um, in one of those categories. But I, I guess it kind of it brings us back around to like, you know, I I think this hire is either going to work really, really, really well or really, really, really poorly. I don't think any of us have considered a whole lot of time thinking about um, the what if. What if it's somewhere in between? What if Chris Kleiman gets us to a, a level of basically perpetuating, and this is what I've always called an athletic director's worst nightmares, the plateau. So what if Chris Kleiman actually works out to be, he just perpetuates the 2013 through 2017 seasons at K-State, and it's just kind of the down years are seven win seasons, and the up years are nine wins, and it's like a eight-win season average. What what? What does that look like? Because it's going to be really hard to not also keep tabs on, from this point in time, what did Neil Brown or Mike Norvell do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I It would be really disappointing because uh, in order for us to move on from from a uh, Coach Kleinman would, would cost us a lot of money. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know. It, it really put the the contract, and I hate to circle back around to it, but I think the contract really puts us in a in a tough position. Um, and again, that's I don't think Gene did a good job of of that contract negotiation and and putting K State in the best best position to potentially move on from a uh, Coach Kleinman. I think he obviously put a lot of stock in, in his hire and really potentially hitched his career to. Coach Kleiman's success, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, it would be tough for fans. I think fans would be okay with the first three years if if, if we were just making a bowl game, um, but we'd obviously want to see improvement after that. I mean, this kind of circles back around to where I started, where winning percentage is is my first indicator, and you know, I've always had a saying as I related to major league or minor league baseball is that if a guy at double a is just knocking the cover off the ball and is hitting like 420 he's not going to go to the majors he might have proven he belongs in the majors but he's not going to hit 420 at the majors like his batting average is you know he's probably going to hit 280 or something like there's a good chance he's going to hit 280 so Mm -hmm. like in deep inside of me, like I know I'm resisting really hard on someone who's got this is ridiculous. Like he is a living legend at the FCS level um, with a 91.7 percent winning percentage, and I joked on Twitter that that's that's my only that's all I'm asking for him to do is to maintain his 91 points. <laughs> but that's all I'm asking. Like it's um, you know, so I don't obviously I don't expect that that's going to maintain, but. As it relates back to what you just talked about, the, the contract, if things start going south, brings me to my next rub. 
um, with some local Kansas City sports radio personalities. And, and, and to kind of tie up the whole Neil Brown thing, that I think this is why Gene Taylor ended up keep going back to the to his gut his gut feel on Chris Kleiman because he he knows he knows better than any of us obviously any of us what the what he has in this guy so so I can I can tip my hat to Gene in that that regard that you know he stuck to his guns regardless of what what us fans tried to mob mentality mob mentality him into but I think also one of the contributing factors was like Neil Brown who is a guy who spent all of his time in the South, like at the end of the day in Neil Brown's gut, he knows, Hey, if there was the right sec job come up, he would jump ship. And I think that was a sticking point for Gene Taylor. And that was another reason why he, he went the direction he did. But this local Kansas city radio host, um, has been on this talking point that he thought that, K-State needs that guy that's not going to take another job. It was a big deal to him. And he kept saying, he kept saying, like, we can't have a guy in here that's only going to last three to five years and, and is, is using K-State as a stepping stone to get to his next job. But then the same exact personality is saying now that, hey, if it doesn't work out in three to five years, we're looking for a new coach. So apparently the revolving door is okay to be three to five years <laughs> if it emulates... 1989 before but by god we can't have it if it meant success was involved and that just really grinds my gears <laughs> yeah I, you know obviously i think gene has has even gone so far as to say that he doesn't think chris kleinman is going to go anywhere anytime soon um which again i'll, I'll keep circling back if he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon why did he have to get a huge contract to start out with just right. saying you can renegotiate that you know a couple of years in he's had some success renegotiated up to 2.1 2.3 that's fine but again i i just i i struggle with with the uh the the, the negotiation that we have uh, in place, and and I'm I'm sorry, I'm just beating a dead horse at this point. But no, but it's yeah. you know like the vicious cycle that we're on, right? The reason Bill Snyder yeah. came back in the first place was because of poor contract negotiations with one Bob Krause and Ron Prince. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. think it's an unwarranted uh, feeling to have. And I also know, and I I apologize, I you know we talked right before we recorded that you wanted to kind of get into this. I I wished I probably would have had. In hindsight, I wish I would have had his contract up in front of me. But the other thing, like to your point, the six million dollar buyout is like it's all. What is it till twenty twenty one? Like it's it's six million dollars for the first three years, and then it scales down. Like, mm-hmm. like six million does seem high. Like, and okay, that's fine if it's a a one year. Like, why is it not four million dollars next year, and why is it not two million dollars and? Right, twenty twenty. Like I think that's I think that's fair to be critical of that. But again, at the same time, I should probably to be even more fair. We should probably know what the market. I don't know what the going rate is for for a Power Five school. But I don't know. It seems like it seems like it could have done a little better. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, 
honestly, like that that covers everything I wanted to cover. Doug, I don't know if you have any other spinoffs. I, I do know one thing. This is just quick little quick little one liner, but I I was getting irritated by seeing people on Twitter like calling the hiring of Chris Kleiman the the hiring of a glorified high school coach, which is just bush league for anybody to say something like that. It's just stupid and. And even if that person really wanted to stick to that, their guns on that, like, the last... We did actually once hire a glorified high school coach. His name was mm-hmm. Frank Martin. So, like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, so, so stop. Stop saying that. Like, just at face value, and I, I even would get irritated, and I know you accidentally slipped into this once. I'm not calling you out, Doug, but I saw it all over Twitter, too. <laughs> People were saying... Why did we hire a Division Two coach? That's not correct either. I mean, one mm-hmm. AA for sure, FCS sure. Um, I, but again, it just it just goes back to the that's everybody's got different co- comfort levels for for all these. At the end of the day, all of these hires would have been great unknowns. Uh, no, there's no way any of us could have projected any of these people's success. But um, you know, if it works out, kudos to Gene Taylor. He stuck to his guns. Um, I, it's hard to call this guy anything else than a true winner because that's exactly what he is. He's going for his fourth national title in five years. Um, I, you can, I mean, he's the Nick Saban of the FCS level. So if you were going to hire an FCS coach, at least you hired the Nick Saban of, you know, before Art Bryles. Well, I guess he was an assistant. He went from high school to uh, being an assistant and. Um, at the moment, it looks like we lost Doug there for a second, and now he is joined back. <laughs> Doug, I'm I'm basically done with with my little shtick. Mm. Yeah, I didn't hear most of it. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I was just more or less was talking about how Chris Kleiman is the. I mean, he's the Nick Saban of FCS level. So if you're gonna, if you are going to hire an FCS coach, I think if you're gonna make an exception for that, it would be for exactly this guy to the guy who's going for his fourth national title in five years. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think that on a positive note, I think Chris Kleinman has done all of the right things um, that you could ask for from a head coach. Uh, he's he's honored the Snyders. He's really talked uh, quite, you know, directly to the fan base. Um, he's he's come off a winner with the team. Um, I think most of the team would would say that they would run. They were ready to run through brick walls for him after their team meeting with him. Um, he did a lot of a lot of great things. Um, his first what a forty eight hours uh, on the job. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you have a favorite moment from the first forty eight hours? <laughs> win the dang day, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I think there's a lot to be excited about. Um, if this level of access into the program, as far as uh, media and being able to see some insights um, to how how things are coached and how things are done on a day to day basis, is a is a norm. I think that's a that's a good thing. Now, I don't I don't want I don't think it would be a good thing to go overboard the extreme that Ron Prince did. Um, I don't think that would that would be a good thing for our well, program. But. Well, cl- qualify that or clarify that a little bit, um, because you were talking about media access. 
were, are you talking specifically about how overboard Ron Prince went in the media access department? Or are you talking about other, yeah. other okay. media access, media access? All right, go, department. go on. Yeah. <laughs> not, not his power towel and all of that. Stuff. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Um, no, uh, I think, uh, eco cat. Really think... <laughs> um, I, I, I just, I, I think it'd be refreshing to have, some access um, that I think Kleiman will give us, and his his candid and his candidness and his demeanor with the media, I think will be refreshing um, to everybody involved. And I'm excited that it, it appears that he's ready to recruit at this level. Um, I just wish he was already here doing it full time basis because dead period starts on Monday. Um, he's he's only dedicating two days this week to actual recruiting. Um, which is alarming for me as a guy that loves following the recruiting side of things um, and how important this class is and the fact that we have three scholarship running backs on our roster next year. Uh, we have wide receiver. We have wide receiver depth problems uh, going into next year. We Isaiah Harris. Or... Yeah, yeah, Isaiah Harris left the program, as uh, Go Power Cat reported earlier today. Um you know we have we have some depth issues. Uh, it, when you look at safety, I'm I'm worried about safety. Um, we 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 have a lot of important positions uh, to fill needs for, and to not have a full time coach dedicated to our program uh, solely is uh, I think is hurting us more than, more than helping us. Well, I'm I'm glad you went there because I was. I was on my list, but I totally glossed over it. Um, before we get into recruiting, though, I did just want to say, like, I guess maybe one of my favorite parts of the first 48 hours has been when you did the Q&A session on, live on Twitter with uh, Twitter followers from the jet was a pretty boss move, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, just we get to hear from assistants. Um, like, at the end of the day, like, I don't need a ton of that stuff. I really don't, like – I kind of like knowing that, hey, guys are actually focused on winning a football game. Like, for me, I guess I'm a pretty conservative guy, but, like, if you just heard from one assistant in addition to the head coach a week, like, that's awesome for me. And if there was some sort of rotation, it didn't matter. It was just, like, that's all I'm asking for. But um, alternate uniforms apparently are going to be on the way. That'll be fun. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely – more likely to go to my first spring game and I don't know how many years um, because <laughs> of this. Um, you know, even the year when they were doing stadium renovations and I live less than 20 minutes from Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City. I didn't, I didn't go to that spring game either, even though a change of venue was going to be like, I had other things to do. This, There's that. But So the recruiting piece. And, and this was what I didn't, again, I didn't come up with a clear way to say it at the time, but when all candidates were being considered in the, the shtick, and this is why it was down my list of the risk assessment thing, like it's down there. I care more that they're a good recruiter than if they had Texas recruiting ties. Texas recruiting ties or and o- Oklahoma would have been an added bonus. There would have been a, a plus one, but I care more that you are a good recruiter um, because all recruiting is is everybody's got something to sell and everybody's got a personality to sell uh, to help them sell what they're selling. And I think you can transport that. Um, yes, there's going to be some cultural differences in different chunks of the country, um, but I don't know that the difference between upper Midwest and the South Plains states 
is a huge difference, something that's going to be really hard to relate to. Um, I'm not too worried. I, I think the things he's doing with Taylor Bratt and, and going to be assembling an actual <laughs> recruiting staff is going to help too. Um, but there are no guarantees in this either. Like, um, doesn't mean it's, it is going to work out. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, but what I will say, you know, you talk about those depth issues. One of the advantages he has being an FCS coach is he can recruit guys off of his roster that he believes are fit bodies for the Division One game. They don't have to sit out a year. So for a stopgap, um, I think he can actually, without recruiting actively right now, um, I I think he can actually get guys to K-State and, and really – but now that's only a one-year solution. Well, I guess it depends upon who he plucks. If hey, there's a sophomore what? from his team, but yeah, go ahead. I so I don't see him doing that. Um, I don't think he'll be using that stopgap um, solution. Uh, maybe from his competitive competing teams, um, competitive uh, competing teams against uh, North Dakota State, he might try to do that. Uh, but he won't do that from his own roster. I don't. I don't see him. Uh, if he's look, if he's still their head coach through the playoffs, he's not going to also poach players from their roster. Um, and so, so again, this is why him being co- a head coach of two programs right now is hurting us more than it's it's helping us. Um, I know that Gene Taylor would would spin it and tell you that well, him being on national TV, winning a, another national title is is better publicity. Great, great publicity. But what's it doing for our current roster and our current recruiting class? Uh, dead period, again, starts Monday. Early signing period is, what, in, in a week and a half. Most of the recruits out there are going to be locked up before his national championship run would be over January 5th. So, again, it's it's a detriment for us for the K-State program for him to coach through the playoffs. Now, I think it's cool that he wants to do that for his seniors. I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a testament to what kind of a character he has um, and, and the type of relationship he has with his current roster. I think that's all cool. That said, he could have spun it with his players and said, look, this is an opportunity, my dream job. He could have taken this job and, and, been there as a fan if he wanted to be um, and still done more of a job for K-State, his new employer, than what he's doing for us now. Yeah, and I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. Well, first off, I think think this whole conundrum is not more, I don't know. Gene Taylor offered it up first. So... um, you know, I don't know if Chris probably would have asked for it anyway, um, mm-hmm. but because Gene had to live through Craig Bull bolting during the the playoff run, uh, I think he didn't want to leave his predecessor, or successor, successor, whatever, um, in the same situation. So Craig Craig Bull coached through the playoff run. Mm, that's okay. Well, all right. I guess I don't know. I thought I thought I heard that somewhere, but yeah, um, no, I, he he was there through their playoff run. For some reason, I thought he bolted early, but um, okay. Well, there's, there's, it will be interesting. Well, I, if I'm just quoting, I'm just I'm just remembering what Chris Kleiman uh, said in his press conference um, that he saw his he saw Craig Bull do 
do exactly what he's doing, coaching two teams. And that's why he feels confident he can do it. Wow, okay. All right, well. And again, and again I, think, I think we're going to be fine in recruiting moving forward. I'm just worried about this year and being, you know, having a, a team that can sus- have sustainable depth uh, going into next year. Well, and and that... I, I think the focus is going to be there moving forward. But for him to coach two teams right now is hurting us more than anything. And it's, and it's, all, all, it's only benefiting uh, North Dakota State. Yeah, no, I would agree there. Like, obviously, they're the ones getting the good deal out of it. But, I mean, this year's recruiting class was stunk from the beginning anyway. Like, I don't I don't know how much worse it could get. He's def- he's already made phone calls. He's already um, flipped a recruiter, too. Um, I, and I was worried, too, at the beginning. Like, okay, so plus Miles walks into a Kansas living room and then – 45 minutes later, it's uh, Chris Kleiman's opportunity to sell the same kid. I was worried for a while that, like, man, we're just going to get, like, we're going to lose the Kansas kids. That's, like, that was, that's been a given for how many years, right? That's what I'm most worried about here in the, like, if he can't turn that around next year, um, because I I anticipate Les Miles is going to have his pick of the litter uh, from the Kansas kids. I, I was really worried about that until I started hearing how many, uh, from the KC radio personality saying that a bunch of the local KC area coaches have already reached out to these radio people telling them how much they like working with Chris Kleiman because he already recruits the Kansas City area. That gave me a little bit of um, a little bit of comfort, but I, I don't know. I like pie in the sky. What could he have possibly done in the next? Was it the nineteenth? Is the early signing day? Like in the next seven days. For nine days, what could I don't know what I don't know. I I yes, I wish he was one hundred percent on K State's side, but I don't I don't know really at this point. The damage seems like it's already done. I guess is where I'm at. Uh, I I would disagree. I, you know, there's a lot to be to be said if a head coach uh, makes his way into your living room and um, having one less, having three less days to do it. Let's say. He, he could all, have only recruited for three more days. Uh, those three days could have been out on the road to the recruits that we have um, that are in Florida, for example, um, the, the commits we have in, in the South. He could have gone and, and been in their livings or living rooms to secure their commitment. Um, now it's going to be a phone call um, if he even gets to the phone call. Um, and then when he's in, in – uh, in Kansas, he's going to be visiting Kansas City recruits, uh, which is good. Uh, you know, obviously, we want to keep those Kansas City ties, but he already has those Kansas City ties. I guess I don't know. I I, I am concerned about how many recruits we're going to have in this class. Our scholarship counts are already pretty low, uh, and we didn't need it need it to get any lower. And then, you know, basically, be fighting for the scraps, so to speak after the early signing period. Well, I, th- I think you're probably right that his character is going to, he's not going to be the guy who's going to actively try to poach his roster. You're probably right there. Um, I don't know. I just feel like there's still a good chance that there's like at least six players that come from, but that would be an interesting over under bet, like uh, two and a half, three and a half, three and a half people from the North Dakota state. 
uh, roster. I guess I would be reluctant to take the <laughs> over on that now that I'm thinking about that. But that, that's something interesting to watch. I don't know. Because um, you also don't know which players might actually reach out to him because from all indications, they love him, right? So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would see it as an opportunity. It's like, hey, I can go play Power 5 football now. You know, I don't know. Well, one thing I am totally excited about is to see what the offensive line looks like under him. I mean, I remember back, you know, Doug, when we started this podcast, let's see, that was our second that was our second season, the first full season we did podcasting. We used to do previews of the opponents, and I remember mm-hmm. looking at their roster and be like, whoa, holy cow, on the line yeah. of scrimmage. They actually have some, and that's been something I've I've read about two or two, three, mm-hmm. at least two times uh, since his hire. Um, people from Iowa commenting about how they got destroyed on the line of scrimmage. Um, so, I don't know. I'm excited about that, but not that offensive lines necessarily when you football games, but bigger is better for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They do a lot. They do a lot to help you though. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, I think that's, that's now that we've exhausted the topics unless, mm-hmm. and what's great is Doug, you join us from Boston today. Uh, your job takes you on the road. So we now can officially say we got official East coast, uh, sports bias <laughs> as part of our podcast. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that validates it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, if there's an episode next week, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or not, but I might have an opportunity to interview a former player, uh, kind of working on that, uh, get their reaction, which I think would be very interesting. Um, I'll be interested to see if Fitz does the same thing with, uh, like he did as soon as Snyder retired, if there's if he does a similar roundtable with former players to kind of get, gauge their reaction, I think that'd be really interesting to see what they say. But by and large, for now, the first 48 hours, uh, Chris Kleiman has continued to win win the dang day um, two days in a row. So so good for him. But uh, Doug, unless you have any parting shots, I guess we'll sign off. No, uh, I'm I'm excited. Um, like I said. I'll be a K-State fan for life, so uh, I'm in the wait-and-see approach. I think Chris Kleinman is a heck of a man, and I think uh, hopefully he'll have a lot of success with K-State. Yeah, and the sad news is we have to wait, what, 200 days or something before we get to see uh, the home opener, uh, get to figure out if the soundtrack has changed before the game for the first time in uh, (laughs) 30 years. So. Mm All those little things, but that's what makes it fun. Um, coaching search is over. This podcast is over. That'll do it for this episode. And until next time, peace out. Emo, everybody.